So this morning we're going to be talking about a couple of different things, and this is the best bumper I could find for talking about harvest and how it actually applies to us. So I'm just, I can't even tell you, um, I was telling my wife this morning about my excitement about this. I know every week I tell you how I'm excited I am, which is a good thing, I think. But this all kind of was an evolution for me of each week praying and asking God what he wants me to say the next week and developing that whole thing. And I saw Facebook posts that I'm going to read to you at the end of my message. And it kind of sparked. I mean, how many of you read through Facebook? It's like, check, next, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll. And this one just like jumped out on me. And I'm never on Facebook. I rarely get any time to look at it. And this one just like jumped out at me. And so I'm like, man, I really feel like there's something there. And so I went and this week spent some time, intentionality, studying this all out and putting this all together. And then God has just kept orchestrating my steps back to this. And even last night I was listening to a podcast driving home and it was talking about this exact same scripture. And I'm like almost, I told Lenora, like on George Bush driving 70 miles an hour, maybe a little bit more. And it was like tears are like almost streaming down my face. I felt like I needed to just pull over and just, it was just so moving because God just made so much focus to me that this is what is for today. And you'll see how it applies even to next week. But if you turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, we're going to read a story. As you know, I like to kind of just jump through the scripture and just let the scripture tell the story itself. Starting in verse 3, so he, Jesus, and the disciples, they left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through, notice that, he had to go through Samaria on the way. So let me just give you a geographical map here, how this works. So Judea's here, Galilee's down here, and Samaria is right in the dead center. So a straight line, the fastest way to a point is to draw a straight line. My mom used to drill that into me. Hi, mom, if you're watching on the video. And I've just, you know, that's just there. You got to draw a straight line, and Samaria is right in the straight line. However, just like today, there are quarreling nations, and they don't like each other very much. So what the Jews and everyone would do is they would go all the way around it. So it is not the straight line, they would take the extra time. Now, mind you, they're not flying. They're not driving in a car. They're walking or on a donkey. Okay, so it takes a lot longer. Think about that. The place that they don't want to go, the place that they're offended at, the place that they're saying is not convenient at all, is uncomfortable. They're taking all this time, this extra time to go around this because Samaria's right in the middle. But Jesus... Verse 4 says, had to go through Samaria on the way. He could have chose to go around it. He went through it. Eventually came to the Samaritan village of some name, near the field that Jacob had given Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat down wearily beside the wall about noontime. So I want us to see some things here. Jesus, human like we are, okay? He's just like me. He's just like you. He was tired. Anybody ever been tired? Everybody just be wore out from your week and just like, man, it just seems like there's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And Jesus comes and he sits down by the well. He's just tired. He's just exhausted because when you, when you speak and when you give out of yourself all the time, you can let your body just, it becomes depleted. He was tired and hungry about noontime. 
Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now, he's sitting on the well that she's coming to draw the water from. She's in his way. And if you study into this a little bit, you'll see it wasn't appropriate for guys to be at the well, and it wasn't appropriate for her to be there at that time. It actually was the women's job to go in the morning and late at night to draw water. So they weren't there during the the middle of the day. And here we see that she came in the noontime. Now, we don't really know who she was. She's named the Samaritan woman in here. And we go on and we're going to see more about her as Jesus talks with her. But the interesting thing is, it's thought that she's not a woman of high reputation. And maybe she lives her life more on the night side of the day. So... She's probably been up all night, and she didn't want to be up early. And she thought, I don't really want to see all those women anyway. I'm just going to scoot in here when nobody's going to see me at noontime. And when she's trying to avoid all these other people, she runs into Jesus. Jesus asks of her, please give me a drink. He was all alone at this time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, I want to read an article that's written by Christine Schenk. I believe that I'm saying her name right. This was written in an article for the National Catholic Reporter on March the 3rd, 2016. I'm just going to read some excerpts in here. She did a wonderful job of this. In the first century Palestine, a woman could not initiate divorce except in extremely rare circumstances. The woman goes on to say, Jesus talks to her about her marriage, and he asks her, about her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he, you know, she goes on to know, we come find out she's been divorced five times. So here we find that she could not initiate a divorce. Therefore, Samaritan woman's five former husbands must have either divorced her or died. This would have spelled disaster for her since women in that time frame relied on the patriarchal household to survive. When Jesus at first affirms the woman's reply that she has no husband, he is in, oh gosh, this is a big word, enigmatically, that's terrible, implies that she doesn't have one. But before branding her as a harlot or adulteress, we would wish to remember that the Roman marriage law stipulated only a free-born person could marry, and therefore only other to another freeborn person. This excludes marriage, legal marriage, from millions of freed people, former slaves, who populated the earth. So in other words, she might not even be able to get married. She, by the laws that were going on there, she's been married five times, and she may not even be now eligible to get married again. So we don't really know. We shouldn't be throwing any stones at the woman. We don't know anything other than that she's the, quote, Samaritan woman. She continues, she exhibits remarkable theological acumen, sparring with Jesus over where true worship is found. We're going to read that in just a moment. Unlike the respected rabbi who was there the day before, Nicodemus, we see this in John chapter 3, who meets secretly with Jesus. So here Nicodemus is a rabbi. He's one of the top leaders in the religious um, world at that time. And he wants to meet with Jesus, but he's not going to do it out in the open. 
He wants to do it in secret. He waits till it's dark and nobody's going to see him. He's like sneaking out the window. He's going to Jesus. And they had this whole dialogue we're not going to go into. But unlike Nicodemus, who's respected, she meets Jesus out in the broad daylight and depicts and comes out a true believer. The woman's search for true worship, this is continuing that article, in spirit and truth is last fulfilled. Jesus recognized that he did not sow the hunger for God. It already existed within her. But he did, did reap what another had sown. So we're going to continue on in the story. And I'm going to skip around because I don't want to read the whole entire thing. Go read the whole thing yourself. Again, I encourage you to read the Bible. And just it's just great, the stories that are there. I'm not trying to read every line of it because I want to whet your appetite. And then you go home and like, I want to read the whole story maybe this afternoon. So they have this dialogue, and here's Jesus trying to ask her for some water. And he's talking metaphorically as well as physically because he's thirsty. We saw he's tired. But she then, rather than getting personal, she takes it to a super high level. And it's like, well, you don't even have anything to pull the water out with. How are you supposed to do this? What are you thinking? You're not even supposed to be here. You're not supposed to talk to me. And then she goes, well, you know, we worship on this mountain. You worship on that mountain. How do we know? She's trying to get the thing really far, 50,000 foot view. So everything is just like really up here. Jesus isn't satisfied with that, and he draws down deeper. Verse 25. The woman says to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. Isn't that amazing? Here she is talking to Jesus, and she's now quoting to him that she knows there's a Messiah coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now pause right there. Jesus has told people that his father sent him. The people that were there when the the heavens opened up said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. They knew what was going on. But Jesus has never said these words before right now. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? He didn't call a press conference. He didn't wait for Jerusalem right out on the steps and got all the reporters out there with their little mics and like, okay, Jesus, what are you going to say today? He doesn't go, hey, everybody, I just want to let you all know, I'm the Messiah. I'm him. You're seeing him right here. It's on the front page of the Jerusalem Post the next day. Okay, that's not how he did it. He was in conversation with this woman that everyone else rejected and judged. He told her, First time. I am the Messiah. Verse 27. Then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to the woman because it's not appropriate. He's not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to be there. They're certainly not supposed to be talking. The races are not supposed to be talking to each other, the, the Jewish and the Sumerian. They're not supposed to be talking at all together. So they're walking like, oh my gosh, Jesus, what have you got yourself into? They were shocked. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Isn't that funny? They're all wondering this, but none of them had the nerve to ask. So the woman then left her jar, 28, and ran back to the village. Because you see, Jesus asked her a question. Where's your husband? Again, go read it. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, because you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now isn't even your husband. We talked about that in that article. We don't really know the circumstances of that. 
But where she's trying to be up here, 50,000 foot view, it's like, okay, the sky's blue. I wonder what the weather's going to be like today. I bet it's going to rain. How about that snow in Colorado in May? She's just trying to, you know, keep it down here. Jesus is like, hey, how about those five guys that have rejected you? And the guy you're living with now, you're not even married to. (laughs) Can you imagine? She didn't mention anything of that to him. And the thing that's crazy to me in these stories, every single time, is when God shows up, he never has to tell you that he's God. Now, he declares to her about the Messiah, but she could discern by him knowing something about her. That's God. When Saul was on the road to Damascus and God knocked him off of that and blinded him, he's like, Lord, when, when God shows up in your life, you don't have to question, who is this? She left her water jar and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, let's just be honest. She's kind of exaggerating there a little bit, right? Okay, he just talked to her about her husbands. He didn't tell everything she ever did, but she felt like it. Because God reached down inside of her and touched her in such a way that she knew he saw everything. I was in a prayer time when I was at Christ for the Nations when I first got into the group. We're traveling, and we would go and be at a church, and we'd pray for an hour before the service. And here I am, the new kid on the block, and I'm just kind of like big eye, just like taking it all in, raising church all my life, but still just taking it all in. And it was a small pastor's office that we were praying in, and this one girl married one of my best friends in the group, and they're the greatest people in the world. I love them to pieces. Mary is her name, and she's a prayer warrior completely. She's just going back and forth, back and forth, and here I'm just sitting. I'm kneeled down in front of the pastor's desk, and I'm trying to like fall into the space because you know I just worked, got all this stuff done, and I'm tired, and I'm just like this. This is a Sunday night service. We already had a Sunday morning service and all this stuff, and she's walking by, and she turned, and she looked at me, and she connected eyes with me, and I knew just right there she saw everything inside of me, and I felt God was right there, and she came and prayed for me later. It's like, God, God was there. When God sees you, you know he saw everything. She went and told him, come see a man who told me everything I did. Verse 30. So the people came streaming from the vision, from the village, sorry, to see him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the disciples were just urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, he was tired. They went into town to get him five guys. No, joking. That joke didn't go any better with me than did the pastor I heard to say that. But anyway, it's like maybe it was 12 guys. But anyway, um, so the disciples went into town. They left Jesus because he was tired. They left him at the well. They go into town. They get food. They bring it back, and they're like, Jesus, stop talking to that woman. Come over and eat. You're tired. You need something. And here is the amazing place I wanted to land, verse 32. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. So they said, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Did someone slip us Snickers? Because the other disciples asked each other, how does he have food? How do we not know about this? You know, I mean, they just saw him feed the 5,000, you know, with two loaves and two fishes. Who knows what Jesus can do with the Snickers bar, all right? So they don't know what's going on. They're like, hey, we left him. He was tired sitting on the well. Now we come back. He's like, I have food you don't even know anything about. And they're like, what are you talking about? See, they were not seeing what was going on with that woman. 
Jesus needed had to go through Samaria instead of walking around Samaria. Look what happens. The whole town comes out. Jesus replies in verse 34, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. In the NASB version, it says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, that's, that's crazy to them. They're like, what are you talking about? We got you a burger over here. Don't you want to eat? I mean, you got the water right there, but don't you want this burger? He's like, I've got things you don't know about. And they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. See, they're looking at what's going on physically here, and they're oblivious to the whole town coming out to meet Jesus. He's like, what's feeding me inside is not now my physical hunger. What's satisfying me now is what God is about to do with all these people coming out. It says, you have a saying, four months between planting and the harvest, but I say, wake up and look around you. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And I will tell you before I heard the message I heard last night, I just looked at that and just thought, the ethereal thing, like we saw in the video in the beginning, just the waves of grain, just like floating. He's talking a metaphor again. You know, look at the fields are white to harvest. And you know, one time I think about it, it's like, he said that then, but now we say that now. Were they then and now they're not? Are they better now? I don't know. But here's what I always missed. Where's the harvest? Where's the harvest that he said to look around, to wake up and look around? Who is it that's coming? The whole town. So where they're sitting there with their five guys, the the whole town is now approaching because this woman has went to them and says, you got to come meet this guy. And the life that's changed in her has caused them to leave what they're doing and come out to the well to say, who is this guy and what in the world is going on? And Jesus says, look, look, the harvest is in front of you. It's not the burger, it's this. I was hungry a while ago, but now what God is doing through me, talking to all of these people and seeing all these people come to my Father, is just amazing. Verse 39 in the NASB says, And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. See, the harvest was all the people that were coming out from the cities. The people remind you that everybody else wanted to avoid. The ones that everybody else would walk around, go way out of their way, not to ever talk to, completely want to avoid them. So here's the Facebook quote I heard. See, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes by hearing. And Jesus said, I'm fed. I have meat that you don't know of. 
My friend, Pastor Mike Ma- Ma- Massa, not made Massa, wrote this in Facebook. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Therefore, if I'm only hearing the word of God, it may build my faith. We just saw that the faith comes from hearing. But that alone does not feed me. When I do what he said, then I am fed. See, Jesus was living in the same kind of physical world where he got tired. He just wanted to sit down at the well. And when this opportunity was presented to him, when this divine appointment came upon him, God fulfilled him inside so much. Matthew 9, verse 35 is the scripture that we opened up with the bumper. Since Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his, his disciples, the harvest is great. Again, who's he talking about? Who's that harvest that is great? All the cities all the towns where the crowds were there that he had compassion on. Verse 38 says, So pray to the Lord of the harvest who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. In the minutes that I have left, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever heard a pastor, a preacher, or someone, an evangelist get up and says, Your breakthrough's about to happen. And everybody goes, oh, excited because everybody's got some struggle that they're going through. Like, man, I'd really like to see myself delivered out of this. I'd really like to see God just completely change this. Maybe it's a financial or it's a healing or it's whatever. You just say those words and you're like, woo! Pastor that I was listening to last night said, he's preaching and he's like, the walls are about to come down. Shout, 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 shout. The walls are about to come down. And he's driving home with his son. And his son's like, daddy, why did you want the walls to fall down? See, because he, when he's speaking metaphorically, the little boy didn't know that. And to him, if the walls fell down, okay, we're inside the building and the walls fall down. It's not a good thing. He says, I found that I'm, I'm going back to the Jer- Jericho moments and saying, let's let the walls fall down. But is it over at that point? What happens when the wall fell down at Jericho? Was it like the Krispy Kreme hot now light came on and says, Woo! Everything's good. Come on, have a Krispy Kreme. We're done. It's all done. When Jesus says the fields are white to harvest, what does that mean? If you know anything about farming, you can choose when you're going to plant. You can choose when you're going to put that seed in the ground. You're going to kind of choose when you're going to go water. You could skip a day. Say, yeah, it rained yesterday. I don't have to go out and water today. But when the harvest happens, guess what happens? You have to attend to it or it'll rot. So when the harvest comes, those people who are farmers, those people who are raised in that environment will tell you the hardest work is the harvest. It isn't the Krispy Kreme hot now light coming on saying, okay, you did it. That's when we really have to unbutton our 
our sleeves and roll up our sleeves and say, okay, now we're really going to get in here and do it. So what does harvest look like to you? See, the next verse after he said that is when he sent them out to all the cities. What does harvest look like? What does it look like for Church on the Rock Dallas? What does it look like? Is that the realization when all these seats are filled and we're running three or four or five services? Is that it? That's our hot now fight. It's on. It's on. We, we just... We made it. I mean, because everybody's in here, man. We got a lot. Man, it takes a long time during the walk around to get everybody's neck hugged. That's it. We, we made it. Is that it? The harvest is great. But the harvest is the woman at the well. The woman that everybody else would reject who has been rejected over and over again, who came at noon instead of the time she's supposed to come because she's trying to avoid everybody. It's going to the uncomfortable places that you really don't want to go to, that nobody else wants to go to because there was people there that God wanted to touch. There was a harvest in that place. I told you it applied to next week. It's Mission Sunday next week. Maybe you can't go to the mission field. Maybe I can't go to the mission field. My mission field is Plano. That's where God's called me to. And I hope it's yours as well. But we also have the entire world to be worried about, to be concerned about. We can't just say, okay, it's just us here. Draw a little circle and say, well, okay, I'm not seeing anything else. And we're going to hear the story from Becky Culker and what she and Mike are doing and the wonderful things that God's doing in Mexico. We're going to hear in the days to come from Pastor Jay about what's going on in Haiti. And we'll hear from more and more people all along. And we have to think outside our walls. What's that harvest going to look like? Can I tell you what you got to do during harvest? You might have to skip a meal or two. Jesus didn't eat the five guys burger. He's like, now these people are coming out here. I get to now share. God's going to so energize me. What's it look like for us? What places of controversy, places we like, I really don't want to think about that. I really don't want to go there. I, I, I don't even know if God wants to go there. Can I tell you God wants to go there? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Isn't that amazing? He could have went around just like everybody else and no one would have questioned him. Remember that parable that Jesus gave? A parable, mind you, not actual what happened. A parable about the guy, huh, there's a Samaritan, the good Samaritan, remember that? Everybody would walk across the other side of the road like, I don't see you there, I don't see you there. It was the Samaritan that came and helped him. Would you bow your heads with me? The harvest that Jesus spoke about was those also who the religious people would go around and try to avoid.
So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know for those of you sitting in this room, those of you listening on the podcast, those of you watching the YouTube, those of you that are hearing my voice, watching this from wherever, however, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're the person that God wants to reach out to and say, this is all for you. Or maybe you're the person that God's like, hey, there's a harvest in front of you. So you may be the harvest or you may be the harvester. We're going to pray in just a moment for both. And I encourage you, if you've been challenged like I've been challenged, that you'll pray this prayer with me. But first, I want us to pray a prayer. If that's you today, that today's your day, if you're identifying more with the woman saying, I'm in need of a savior. I, I, I've made a mess of my life. There's things that I'd rather talk about from a 50,000-foot view than to tell you everything that's really going on at my house. If that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? God, thank you for sending your son to die in my place to pay for my sins so that I don't have to. And I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you. Jesus, forgive me. Take my life. Here's the good part. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. And the best way I know how I'm going to live for you with all my heart today. I give you my life. Now, if you're that other category that you're the harvester, that the harvest is laid out in front of you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I will not get so caught up with my natural hunger and the natural things that would pull me understandably but I'll keep my eyes open to what you have I will follow Jesus' words and look up and see what's around me now Father God I just pray for all of us Father that we'll take this challenge and we won't go around the uncomfortable we won't be like the religious people who would walk around this entire nation just to avoid that. But we'll be like Jesus who had to go through Samaria. And Lord, I just ask you to show forth your love to Plano, to Dallas, to DFW, to Texas, to the United States, to Mexico, to Haiti, Father God, to the entire world. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to use us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.